Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. You know, as we think about God's grace, it should help us to recognize our sin. Ephesians 2 talks about the fact that we're all dead in our trespasses and sins. But the good news is that God has made us alive through faith in Jesus Christ. God's word says in Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So when we realize our sin and rely on Jesus Christ, who died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sin, then we can indeed experience God's grace and experience everlasting life. There's definitely a big need. Somebody texted me this week and encouraged me to preach on 2 Timothy chapter 3. I'm not going to preach on it, but I'm going to read it. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. It says, But know this, that in the last days perilous times will come, for men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, and from such people turn away. Isn't that an apt description of what's going on in the world today, and more specifically what's going on in the United States today? The good news is that through Jesus Christ we can have forgiveness and cleansing, we can walk in newness of life. The bad news is this, that sometimes the culture around us influences us more than it ought to. And some of these things that I just read are in the church. That's a problem. And it's a problem that Paul addressed in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. If you'll take your Bibles and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Paul is writing to the church at Corinth. He visited there uh, several times. He, he wrote them a couple letters, at least two, probably three or so. And he dealt with various issues that the church had. And the reason was because the culture had made an impact on the church instead of vice versa. We, we need to, to recognize that such should not be the case for us. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you. And such sexual immorality is not even named among the Gentiles that a man has his father's wife. And you are puffed up and have not rather mourned that he who has done this deed might be taken away from you. For I indeed am as absent in the body but present in spirit have already judged as though I were present him who has so done this deed. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you are gathered together along with my spirit, with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. Your glorying is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Therefore purge out the old leaven that you may be a new lump, since you truly are unleavened. 
For indeed, Christ our Passover was sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast, not with old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. I wrote to you in my epistle not to keep company with sexually immoral people. Yet I certainly did not mean with the sexually immoral people of this world or with the covetous or extortioners or idolaters, since then you would need to go out of the world. But now I have written to you not to keep company with anyone named a brother who is sexually immoral or covetous or an idolater or a reviler or a drunkard or an extortioner, not even to eat with such a person. For what I've had to do with judging those also who are outside, do you not judge those who are inside? But those who are outside, God judges. Therefore, put away from yourselves the evil person. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do pray for wisdom as we look at this portion of Scripture. Sometimes the Bible is hard to understand, and we pray that you'll help us to understand it this morning. But not just understand and seek to apply it to our hearts and to our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 1 Corinthians 5 is talking about church discipline. Church discipline is something that's not practiced very often in the church in this day and age, but it's something that Paul talked about, and it's something that, that if we're going to follow Scripture, we need to do when it's appropriate. But as we look at this, we need to, first of all, have the right perspective. And to have the right perspective on church discipline, we need to see what the Bible says about it. We need to see what God has to say about it. We have a choice. We can listen to the culture of the day, be politically correct, and do what they say, or we can listen to the Word of God, be biblically correct, and do what He says. My perspective is that we need to do what God says rather than what man says. And in this portion of Scripture, in verses 1 through 2, we see the need for church discipline. Uh, there, there's a situation where a man has his father's wife, He's having sex with his stepmother in all probability is what has taken place. And the church does not seem to be very bothered by it. And that bothered Paul. Again, it's actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and such sexual immorality as is not even named among the Gentiles that a man has his father's wife. The Gentiles did not even go this far. And you are puffed up and have not rather mourned that he who has done this deed might be taken away from among you. In other words, when they experience sin in the church, the Corinthian church should have mourned. Now some of you are maybe a little confused, because last week I talked about not judging. And this week I'm talking about judging. 1 Corinthians 4, Paul talked about not judging others. In fact, 1 Corinthians 4, 1 through 6 warns against judging others for their service. In fact, let's review briefly. Chapter 4, verse number 1, Let a man so consider us as servants of God and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required a steward of, in stewards that one be found faithful. But with me it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by a human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself. For I know nothing against myself. I have a clean conscience. Yet I am not justified by this but he who judges me is the Lord. Therefore judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes who will both bring to light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsels of the hearts 
then each one's praise will come from God. In other words, he's saying, don't judge those who are servants of God. Be careful about judging their motives. Be careful about comparing with others and judging them. In fact, the Amplified Bible in verse number 6 says this. Now I've applied all this about parties and factions to myself and Apollos for your sakes, brethren, so that from what I have said of us as illustrated, you may learn to think of man in accordance with scripture and not go beyond that which is written that none of you may be puffed up and inflated with pride and boast in favor of one minister and teacher against the other in other words you need to be careful about about judging the motives of people and judging their servant servants their service uh, we, we we see here that it says don't be go beyond that which is written in scripture we need to make sure that that our discernment about other people is in accord with God's word so it says in 1st Corinthians 4 don't judge but in 1st Corinthians chapter 5 it says that we need to judge sin in the church the difference is judging service and judging sin according to the commentators and according to the word of God I think it has to do with the seriousness of sin I think in this day and age we have come to the conclusion, many of us, that sin's not that big of a deal. It's not that important. It's not that serious. But that's not what God's Word says. I'm reading through the Bible this year. Uh, and, and as I read through the Bible, it's amazing how many times God judged sin. You look at the Exodus. You look at the time in the wilderness. And, and God judged sin significantly. You look at the New Testament and Jesus basically said that certain cities were going to be judged. We need to recognize the seriousness of sin, and especially the sin of sexual immorality, and in this particular situation, incest. There's a need for church discipline in the church today. The act of church discipline. Look at verses 3 through 5 of 1 Corinthians chapter 5. For I indeed is absent in body, but present in spirit, have already judged as though I were present, him who has so done this deed. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you are gathered together, along with my spirit, with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. That's a little bit hard to understand what he's talking about that, when he talks about delivering one to Satan. He was indicating that he has judged this person to be wrong, and that church discipline needs to be set, taken, that he needs to be removed from the church. And when he's removed from the church, in a sense, the protection, the, 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 um, the, the getting together with Christians, the encouragement, the prayer, and so on like that, is lessened, and there is much more of an opportunity for Satan to work in his life. He's delivered to Satan where Satan can work in his life, but the goal is that he might be restored. The goal is that he might recognize the seriousness of his sin and repent and be forgiven and come back in fellowship with the church. And one of the things that, that we as Christians look at is what Jesus said uh, about confronting people when they have sinned. Matthew chapter 18. It's interesting. Uh, scholars feel like this was the second letter to the Corinthians. The first one was not recorded. 
or was lost. And, and in the first one, they feel like he might have addressed this. But in Matthew chapter 18, verses 15 through 17, Jesus said this, Moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he hears you, you have gained your brother. But if he will not hear, take with you one or two more, that by the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. And if he refuses to hear them, tell it to the church. But if he refuses even to hear the church, let him be to you like a heathen and a tax collector. You know, sometimes we think about what Jesus said in Matthew 7, judge not that you be not judged. And we think that Jesus was extremely tolerant and that, that he, didn't, he wasn't concerned about sin. But if you really read the Gospels, you recognize that such is not the case. And he's saying here that if someone sins against you, you need to take action. You need to go to that person alone and try to work things out. If that does not work, then you go with one or two others so that two or three might establish it. If that doesn't work, take it to the church or take it to the church leaders. And if there is not a, a willingness to listen to the church leaders as they discern what's going on, then it says again, in verse number 17, let him be to you like a heathen and a tax collector. In other words, he's really no longer part of the fellowship. He is being excluded from the fellowship. You know, when we think about being excluded from the fellowship, there's some churches that basically just won't let you partake of the Lord's Supper. And, and there are other churches that basically say you don't need to be a part of what's going on here. Of course, uh, many churches would say you're not supposed to be involved in leadership. But the big question is this. Are we so comfortable with sin and the church that we just allow it to consider, allow it to continue without dealing with sin? The act of church discipline. It needs to start with going to the individual, taking one or two, and then trying to work on it with church leadership. But if there is not a response, if there is a continuing in sin, then the church needs to consider church discipline. The reason for church discipline. Look at verses 6 through 8. Matthew chapter, excuse me, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 6 through 8. Your glorying is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Therefore purge out the old leaven that you may be a new lump, since you truly are unleavened. For indeed Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. Therefore let us keep the feast, not with old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Now, I'm not a, a baker. I do use bread to make peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. But that's about as far... I did make some toast this morning. Uh, I, I had a piece of toast. And, and when you put it in a toaster and pop it down, it's really not too hard to do. I don't know much about leaven, but I do know this from Scripture, that when you have leaven in bread, it spreads, and it affects the whole bit of yeast and dough and all that kind of stuff. It's the same way in the church. When we have evil in the church, it tends to spread. And therefore, the reason for church discipline, according to verses 6 through 8, is to keep evil from spreading. This was a quote that I came across. Don't you realize that if even one person is allowed to go on sinning, soon all <clears throat> will be affected. Not dealing with sin leads to more sin. 
And that's why it's so important to make sure we deal with sin. When we think about salvation, we think about our relationship with Jesus Christ. There needs to be two things. Number one, repentance. And number two, faith. We need to turn from our sin and trust Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. But after we've trusted Jesus Christ in Savior, as Savior and Lord, if there's no repentance, then that's, that's not good. And like I said, it affects the whole church. That's the reason for church discipline. The scope of church discipline is found in verses 9 through 13. There was a misunderstanding. Some of the Corinthians thought, well, if there's anybody that's sexually immoral or has any problems with sin, we just need to stay away from them. But he says this, I wrote to you in my epistle not to keep company with sexually immoral people. Yet I certainly did not mean with the sexually immoral people of this world or with the covetous or extortioners or idolaters. Since then you would need to go out of the world. But now I have written to you not to keep company with anyone named a brother who is sexually immoral or covetous or an idolater or a reviler or a drunkard or an extortioner. No, not even to eat with such a person. For what have I to do with judging those also who are outside? Do you not judge those who are inside? But those who are outside, God judges. Therefore, put away from yourselves the evil person. Now, this is not a popular teaching. This is not politically correct. It's a scenario where, where people get scared. They get scared that that the, the people in the church are going to have a judgmental attitude and, and, and it's going to be a, a really negative experience. But God's word indicates that if somebody is living in sin, continuing to live in sin in an obvious fashion, then that person needs to be dealt with. That person needs to be put out of the church. Well, as, as, we, as we look at this portion of Scripture, we need to have the right perspective. And this is very similar we also need to have the right attitude. We should not have a permissive attitude. That was what was going on with the Corinthian church, was it not? There was somebody who was obviously engaging in sin. They were going against scripture. And the Corinthian church, it didn't seem to bother them. They were comfortable with sin. They should have been mourning because of the sin in their midst. But instead, they were puffed up. They were arrogant. It's very possible that they were focused on grace in an inappropriate way. Chuck sang about grace. A couple of other songs dealt with grace. And isn't God's grace amazing that we who were sinners can turn from our sin and trust Christ as Savior and he forgives us and cleanses us and gives us everlasting life and abundant life? But it's obvious in God's, God's word that God's grace does not give us permission to keep on sinning. In 1 John 1, 9, it says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But two verses later, it says in 1 John chapter 2 and verse number 1, these things I write to you that you do not sin. The expectation of Scripture is that we grow spiritually and that we sin less and less. And when we don't grow spiritually, and when we don't sin less and less, then there is a problem, there is an issue. And a permissiveness in the church is not the attitude that we need to have. A tolerance for those who are continuing in sin should not be true 
in the church. Now we need to be gracious and merciful because all of us mess up, all of us sin. But when it is clearly against scripture and when the person is defiantly continuing in that sin, then there needs to be steps that are taken. Romans chapter 6 starts off by saying this, what shall we say? What then shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? And then he goes on to say, God forbid. forbid. If, if we have been buried with Christ in baptism, we need to be raised to walk in newness of life. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. God's grace helps us to do what is right. It is not an excuse for us to keep on doing what is wrong. And yet the Corinthian church was puffed up. They allowed the sin to continue and they were comfortable with it. We need to have the right attitude. We should not have a permissive attitude. But instead, we need to make sure that we have the right attitude. We should not have a judgmental attitude. Now, can you discern between right and wrong and not have a judgmental attitude? I believe it's very, very possible. I mean, when we look at Scripture, let's, say, let's, let's pretend that Scripture says, Thou shalt not eat pound cake. I'm very glad it does not. Uh, because some of you would be causing me to sin. Somebody brought by some pound cake this morning, and I had a piece of pound cake. But let's pretend for a minute that the Bible said, Thou shalt not eat pound cake. And, um, and I ate pound cake. Would that be a sin if the Bible said, Thou shalt not do it? Again, this is hypothetical. The Bible does not say that. But if somebody confronted me, and I said, well, I don't care. I'm going to keep on eating pound cake. I don't care what the Bible says. Then that is an issue. And that's what was going on in this particular situation. Uh, they were keeping on doing it. We can discern if somebody eats pound cake when the Bible says not to. We can discern that it's against the Bible. Like I said, it's not without having a judgmental attitude. In fact, if I had a judgmental attitude toward people eating pound cake, what would I be? Hypocritical. And that's the point that Jesus was making in Matthew chapter 7. Keep your finger in 1 Corinthians 5 and turn to Matthew chapter 7. Because in this portion of scripture, Jesus said, judge not that you be not judged. For with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye, and look, a plank is in your own eye? Hypocrite, Jesus says. First remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. In other words, Jesus does not say that we do not discern what is right and what is wrong. But when we do discern what is right and what is wrong, we need to be careful about being judgmental or having a judgmental attitude because if we have a judgmental attitude, we probably are being hypocritical because all of us need forgiveness. All of us need mercy. So we need to have the right attitude, not a permissive attitude, but not a judgmental attitude. We need to be humble. Galatians chapter 6 and verse number 1. 
This is what Paul said. Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, in a spirit of meekness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. In other words, if somebody is overtaken in a fault, we need to try to restore them if we're spiritual, but we need to be careful when we do it that we're not coming across harsh or ungentle or proud because we will indeed possibly be tempted. You know what it says in 1 Corinthians 10, 12. Pride comes, then comes a fall. It's when we are proud that we are most likely to fall into temptation ourselves. So if we're engaged in church discipline, we need to make sure we're doing so with the right attitude. Not a judgmental attitude, but instead a humble and a gentle and a meek attitude. It is important to make sure that we have the right attitude when we engage in church discipline. It's also important to make sure that we have the right authority. And the right authority is scripture. Paul spoke authoritatively. Now he had, he had two reasons. Number one, he quoted scripture. But number two, he was an apostle. And of course he wrote a good bit of scripture. But when he spoke about this person in Corinth... He was speaking about something which was clear in Scripture. It was not questionable. It was not something that could go one way or the other. It was black and white. And the situation was, again, this gentleman lying with his father's wife, probably his stepmother, which is specifically addressed in Leviticus 18.8, as well as Deuteronomy 27 and verse number 20. In other words, God's word said, don't do it. It didn't say... Don't do it unless you feel like it or don't do it unless there are other circumstances. When I was in college, I, I wrote a, read, read a book called Honest to God. It was by Bishop John Robinson. And, and during the course of the book, he talked about adultery. And basically he said, if it's the loving thing to do, then go ahead and commit adultery. How many of you agree with that? If you agree with that, you don't agree with God's word. Because God's word clearly communicated that you should not commit adultery. Jesus clearly communicated that such was the case. So we need to recognize that if we're going to engage in church discipline, it needs to be something that is extremely clear in Scripture. There's a couple of verses that go along with that. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 through 17 say, All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine. And then what does it say? Reproof, correction, instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished to all good works. It seems obvious that, that Paul was indicating that scripture needed to be used for reproof and for correction. If you did not understand or discern that somebody was doing something wrong, then it would be hard to use scripture for reproof or correction. So again, if it's scriptural and we have the right attitude, then it's appropriate to engage in church discipline. But the desire is that it not get to that point. The desire is that through going to the individual alone and then with one or two more and then church leadership, that the person is receptive to the word of God. 
Bible teacher's commentary had this sentence, and I didn't think I could improve on it too much, so I'm going to go ahead and read it. What church discipline involves then is judgment of a practice which God's word has unequivocally condemned as sin. In other words, it's clear in God's word. Number two, when that sin is habitually practiced, not when somebody's done something wrong one time, but they continue to do it time after time, even though the word of God has been shared with them that it is wrong. And then number three, by one who claims to be a member of the family of God, one who is called a brother. So church discipline is basically to be practiced when someone is going against God's word clearly, when they're doing it habitually, and when they claim to be a Christian. But there's one more thing that should be included, and the Bible teacher's commentary included it a few, few uh, paragraphs later, is the right purpose. And the right purpose is restoration. The goal should be restoration. We already looked at Galatians chapter 6 and verse number 1. Galatians chapter 6 and verse number 1 says, Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, the next word is restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself lest you be tempted. In other words, when we engage in church discipline, it needs to be for the restoration of the person. Apparently, restoration took place. Turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, beginning to read at verse number 5. But if anyone has caused grief, he has not grieved me, but all of you to some extent, not to be too severe. This punishment which was inflicted by the majority is sufficient for such a man. And, and they think he's talking about this individual from 1 Corinthians chapter 5. So that on the contrary, you ought rather to forgive and comfort him, lest perhaps such a one be swallowed up with too much sorrow. Therefore I urge you to reaffirm your love to him. For to this end I also wrote that I might put you to the test whether you are obedient in all things. Now whom you forgive anything, I also forgive. For if indeed I have forgiven anything, I have forgiven that one for your sakes in the presence of Christ. Lest Satan should take advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. In other words, what Paul is saying to the church of Corinth in 2 Corinthians is, all right, you, you exercise church discipline on this individual, and, and he repented, you need to restore him to fellowship. You need to forgive him. Because that is the goal, that is the purpose of church discipline, is restoration. Does that always happen? No, there's no guarantee that it will happen. But that's what Paul is saying in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. When someone is clearly acting against Scripture on an ongoing basis and does not respond to the Word of God, then that person needs to be dismissed from the church, so to speak. There needs to be church discipline. And as a result, hopefully that person will recognize the seriousness of sin and will repent, and there will be forgiveness and cleansing and restoration. Now, this is some serious 
and deep stuff, is it not? But I do think that, that the title of our lesson, Comfortable with Sin, question mark, says a lot of it. Are we as a church comfortable with sin? We recognize the culture around us is in sad shape right now. And that's one of the reasons we wonder if the, the, the world is in the last days. Because of what is taking place around us. But how about in the church? Are we comfortable with sin? Does it bother us when people are living wrong? Does it bother us when we are living wrong? How should we respond? As church leadership, we need to consider the possibility of church discipline based on all the different principles of Scripture and so on. But as individuals, we need to do two things. Number one, we need to examine our own lives. Search me, O God, know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there be some wicked way in me. Lead me in the way everlasting. That should be our prayer. We should be asking God and looking into Scripture and, and trying to discern, is there some area in my life that is not what it ought to be? And if there is, then we need to confess and repent. If we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 talks about the fact that we should lay aside every sin, excuse me, lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily besets us and run with patience the race set before us looking unto Jesus. So I think the first thing we need to do is to look at ourselves. The second thing we need to do is to pray for others as well. If they are living in sin, what does God want us to do? How do we as a church, how do we as individuals, how do we as church leaders deal with the situation? Again, I think that the church has allowed the world to influence us significantly. Because the world is saying tolerance is the most important thing. Judge not is the most important thing. Unless... It's somebody that they don't like, like Christians and so on. But for us, we need to recognize the seriousness of sin and prayerfully consider what God wants us to do when someone is blatantly living in sin and claims to be a Christian, habitually doing so, not responding to God's word. Again, we need to watch our attitude. We need to make sure that we are doing it according to the authority of Scripture and not according to tradition or according to the culture around us. But we need to be careful and encourage people to live for God. Am I encouraging us as a church to go on a witch hunt and look for people that are sinning and say, ah, I got you? No, not at all. But I am saying that starting with ourselves, we need to recognize the seriousness of sin. And the negative difference that sin can make in the church. Let's go back to grace, amazing grace. Isn't it great that if we recognize our sin as non-Christians and we rely on Jesus Christ that he will forgive us, he will save us, he will give us everlasting life. And isn't it great that as Christians, when we recognize that we are sinning in some way, shape, or form, when we confess, he forgives and he cleanses. Let's just make sure that we recognize that sin is serious. And we're doing everything that we can with God's help, by God's mercy and grace, to, to deal with sin and to be what God wants us to be. 
Hebrews chapter 4 verses 15 and 16 talks about the great high priest. And he says that we need to come boldly before the throne of grace to obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So if there's sin in our lives, if we know there's something that we're doing, then we need to respond by going to him, depending on him for mercy and for grace. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word and for what it teaches us. Sometimes it's difficult. Sometimes it's contrary to what we tend to think. Lord, I pray that we will be transformed by the renewing of our minds. I pray that everything we do will be tempered with love, that we will be humble, that we will be gentle. I pray that we will, first of all, look at ourselves. I pray that we will be slow to judge others and make sure that we don't have a judgmental attitude. I pray for wisdom. And your word says that the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. Lord, I pray that you'll give us wisdom from above. And I pray that if there's someone here that has not trusted Jesus Christ as Savior, that they will do so. They'll say yes to you. And if there are people here that, that have known sin in their lives, I pray, Lord, that we will confess and that we will repent. In Jesus' name, amen. Really,